um, through and in this church and um, really to look with great anticipation to even the coming days if the Lord tarries uh, what he has for us as a church, as his people, and uh, how it is that he desires to work through us uh, in so many different ways. Um, This morning, we will continue in our study in the book of Matthew, or the gospel of Matthew. Um, This is, uh, we're going through the whole chapter, and as we take a look at this chapter, it's much different than sometimes um, you hear, and that is uh, normally you hear about chapter 2 at a specific time in the year, uh, and that is during the Christmas season. You hear about how it is that the Savior is born and how the wise men had come and brought gifts to um, the baby Jesus. And, uh, but what we'll learn this morning is something that um, is really driven through the second chapter of Matthew. And that is that the Savior was born in troubled times. And we're going to see how it is that Uh, different groups of people responded to the birth of Christ and how it is that that parallels or that illustrates the very world in which we live in today and the different ways in which uh, we respond, the world responds to Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So I think we're going to be able to relate to that very well, especially in today's um, world and Uh, the times in which we live in. Before we do, though, I do want to mention one thing. And that is what I think most of you have come to know and learn, um, the events that took place yesterday um, in in London. You guys are aware of that? Yeah. Um, So these things continue to happen, and and at a much faster rate, you know, uh, succession, one after another. Um, You know, it's already happened here. Um, What is it now? We're coming up on the two-year anniversary for San Bernardino, right? Is that two? Yeah, already. So it's it's already come here. It's uh, it's on domestic soil. It's happening internationally on a more frequent basis. Uh, We know that Christians are specifically targeted. And... um, and so I'm just reminded of the, of the very warnings that Jesus gave to his disciples and he gives to his church. He says that we're going to face trouble. We're going to face tribulation. But he said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so one of the things that um, I've always enjoyed in life is, uh, is a good challenge. Uh, I've never, you know, I, from the point that I actually learned what a challenge was and and uh, you know, I've just really been one to like. You give me a challenge if if you tell me I can't do something, well, yeah, it's on. <laughs> it's on. And uh, that's that's one of the things that I, I love about uh, my brothers and sisters who persevere, the ones who just bear down and continue to move forward and advance, not back down, not cower, not turn away. Um, if you notice, um, the armor of God has no uh, kind of de- uh, yeah, defensive armor as in running away from the fight, but it has everything in the front, and so you run into battle and you continue to move forward. And I tell you, as the church, it, 
the Bible tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And that is indeed it right there. There may be trouble within the church at various times. Why? Because it's made up of people. But at the same time, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And even though these things are coming against um, our society in general and overall, and the church specifically, uh, I tell you, let's bear down as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's continue to pray for one another. Let's continue to be about our Father's business and not allow these types of things to get us to the point to where we are in despair. We are not a people of despair. We are a people of hope, of true hope and certain hope in Jesus Christ. But I want to take a moment and um, pray for all of those in, that have experienced um, these violent and cowardly acts that are suffering right now in hospitals and those who have suffered loss, the families and friends. All right, so let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that our hope is in you and in you alone. Thank you that you demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord, that we have access to you and we can enter boldly into the throne room of, throne room of grace and find help and mercy in time of need. And we lift up all of those who are facing persecution, all of those specifically in London that have experienced this, um, these acts of violence. And I pray, Father, for the families that have um, come to no loss in the last day. I pray, Lord, that you would give them comfort, that you would give them strength, and Lord, that you would uh, maybe even encamp around them people who know you and that can offer Lord's words that uh, would bring some kind of comfort of true strength and compassion. And I pray for those who are recuperating, those who are in hospitals right now. You are the great physician. You are the healer. And I pray, Father, that you would bring great healing upon them. Lord, physically, but also spiritually. And Lord, that they would see you for who you are, that even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, there is a God who loved us and loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We may lose our physical lives here on earth, but we will gain our eternal lives with You through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that You would meet them right where they are. You would be with them, that they would know Your presence, and that they would have a peace which surpasses all understanding as they fix their eyes on You. We also pray for this morning's study. In Matthew, I pray, Lord, that you would have us understand what you have for us to come to know and apply to our lives to your glory. And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning, again, we're in Matthew chapter 2. The title of this morning's message is The Savior is Born in a Lost World. So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, uh, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star 
when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So again, this, this chapter... We just read through the first 12 verses, but it'll, it'll continue. It's not centrally focused on the birth of Jesus. That's covered in greater detail in Luke chapter 2. But Matthew chapter 2 is more about the battle surrounding Jesus and how the world responded to him then, which is very much how the world, as we look around, responds to him today. The setting is Jerusalem. Then from Jerusalem, we know uh, that they went to Bethlehem and Joseph and Mary and Jesus went to Egypt and then back up to Nazareth. We're going to go through that this morning. We have the wise men that are involved, Herod, the Jews, chief priests, scribes. We have the angel of the Lord and God in the midst of it all. Weave through it. And it's very clear from the outset of Christ's birth that he was a threat to many. And you think about this, right? He was a baby at that point. He, he, was, he was just a baby, an infant. He was frail. How is it that he could be a threat to so many? And yet we see in this chapter that that was indeed what he was. He was a threat. And he was treated with indifference, with contempt, and evil, even evil intentions. But the father, knowing this perfectly, why he sent him, what he would endure even from the time he was born throughout his life, and then for the three years of his ministry, sent his son. And he sent him fully knowing that he would be mocked, beaten, and ultimately crucified. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus even warned and comforted his disciples with these words. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. In other words, be courageous is what he was saying. I have overcome the world. In John chapter 16, verse 33. Now oftentimes what we cry out today is, is the rights of humanity and the rights of us as American citizens. We have this outcry. But this goes way beyond our rights of humanity within a world system. 
It is a fulfillment of God's will that transcends anything that is man-made. I've been thinking a lot about this. Because we've been crying a lot about our circumstances, the things we find ourselves in. You can even say that America's turned into a country full of whiners. Jesus was born in troubled times with violent worldly rulers, unfair laws. Sound familiar? The popular rulers and groups were powerful and corrupt. And many made every attempt to extinguish the light of the world. Sound familiar? I mean, that's what's happening today. Nothing's changed. It's getting even darker, though. But it was all to no avail. And I can tell you, just as I reminded you and encouraged you with the words, the gates of of hell shall not prevail against the church, the bride of Christ. So it was then, so it is today. It's all to no avail. Because when all is said and done, God wins. I've read the book. He wins. His plans are ultimately not thwarted, but fulfilled. And the only question, really, that we need to answer in our lives is whose side are we on? That's it. That's it. When God the Father sent the Son, He demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? It was all for that very thing that we would at some point be given the opportunity to decide, to exercise our free will, to say we are either for you or against you. It is said that Satan owns the the fence on which you sit on. There is no fence sitting with the Lord, not in God's kingdom. Jesus said you are either for me or against me. And that, my friends, is why We preach the gospel. That's why we do this. To, of course, build up the church, but at the same time, when the gospel is explained, it's so that we would be given a choice. And if we see God's grace in it all, which it is, that hopefully we decide in the affirmative and surrender our lives to Him. Because in doing so, we lose our lives, Oh, but we gain eternity. That's what we gain Three different responses we see here this morning. Immediately upon the birth of Jesus, we see the wise men, we see Herod, and we see the religious people. Let's first take a look at the wise men. Again, looking at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And then skip down to verse 9 as we continue with the wise men. After listening to the king, that is King Herod, they went on their way and behold a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, the initial location of this story is in Bethlehem. This is the ancestral home of King David, uh, the king of Israel. By the way, he was king of Israel a little over a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Bethlehem is located about six miles south, southwest of Jerusalem. And Jesus made this significant impact on the world the moment he was born. Now, we need to consider this. He hadn't spoken a word. He hadn't proclaimed that he was the Son of God. Never said at that point that he was the Messiah. He hadn't proclaimed a single doctrine. He hasn't stated why he came. He hadn't even confronted anyone. He hadn't done any of that. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, ah, the baby's harmless, right? He was simply born in a humble setting, a frail child, but his influence was immediately felt by all, and wise men came from the east. The wise men came to Jerusalem and simply asked a question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We're going to cover Herod in a few moments. Why was it this very question just, I'm sure, made the hair stand up on the back of Herod's neck, you know? But these men that came to visit with Jesus and worship him were not kings as sometimes we depict them, but they were wise men, meaning they were magi or they were astronomers. And there weren't not just three of them. There was a whole bunch of them that came. They came seeking Jesus. And these wise men did not come on the birth night of Jesus or they would would have ended up in the manger. They came some time later. And they came to a house. That's where they came to find Jesus and Mary. And it's interesting that even even in this uh, listing, the mention of Jesus and Mary, normally first it's the parents who are mentioned and then it's the child. But in this case, Jesus always comes first and he was mentioned first and then it was Mary. These men were guided by a mysterious star and stopped in Jerusalem thinking that perhaps the leaders of the capital city would have some answers and may even be more interested than they were about what was taking place. But they kind of missed the mark, although these were wise men. They kind of missed the mark. These men, even with the star being their guide, were a little off, and they had to inquire as to... The king of the Jews. Where, where is he? Where was he really born? But this is a remarkable journey. It's ironic that these wise men traveled such a great distance to find and honor the king of the Jews. Why is this interesting? Well, because the Jews were a despised people. They were a despised people then, and they are a despised people today. It's amazing that that is the epicenter of the world. Have you seen how big Israel is? You know, just leave them alone. 
If, if they're not such a big deal, just leave them alone. Oh, but they're more than that. They're God's people. And there is so much that we can say about the Jewish people. But they were despised then. They're despised today. The world despises them. Is that not true? They were dishonored throughout the world. So this was amazing. Why would these quote-unquote wise men come and want to honor and worship who they were calling the king of the Jews? But in hearing this, they were summoned by King Herod. And then King Herod got together the chief priests and the scribes and inquired of them as to you know, what they were asking. Is, does this have any truth? And what they found out was that they had to travel six miles southwest to Bethlehem. That's where you'll find him. So they did just that. They went to this home and they followed the light, this star, which rested upon the house where Jesus was. And there they came to Jesus and Mary. And the wise men were rejoicing exceedingly. This is like overwhelming. I had mentioned it, I, be, I believe, on Wednesday uh, when we were in Haiti. Um, now it's uh, like a week and a half ago, a couple weeks ago. And this, this lady who is pregnant um, was overwhelmed with joy. So overwhelmed that she and Creel was totally worshiping and praising God. And she was crying just Tears were streaming down her face. And her, I think it was her sister, I don't know, just a relative or a friend, but was kind of concerned and uh, wanted to find out, well, what's going on? And, and so Seraphim is his name, the pastor um, there at that church in, in Haiti, in, uh, in Ducey, saint Marcier. He explained, no, 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 these are, these are tears of joy. She was rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. And the only word, really, that I could understand was hallelujah. That is a universal word. You can go anywhere and say hallelujah. You know exactly what it means. Praise God. He is worthy of our praise. She was overwhelmed with joy. She said, God is too good to me. And if I could give you a description of where this woman lived and in what conditions she lived in, I mean, we were building a roof over her house that she didn't have. They were living in a little shack off to the side. And then you realize that it was at that moment that she was overwhelmed with joy. You might even ask, about what? It's amazing what we really put importance in, what we focus on on especially as as americans we we take a lot of things for granted and the one thing that should be most important or the one person who should be most important is oftentimes set off to the side for the sake of our own desires we should learn as the wise men came to know and as they came into the presence of jesus christ himself they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy not only that, but they fell down and worshipped him. Fell down and worshipped him. 
This is such a hum, humble posture. You know, I, I've done this before, but we don't, we don't know uh, what it is to serve a monarchy. You know, in, in, within a monarchy, a, a king. Uh, we don't know what a prince is or a princess. We don't know what a queen is. We, as far as Americans are concerned, um, know something quite different. And again, we've come to the point, I believe in America, to where it's all about me, myself, and I. Isn't it? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. We can pull up the, well, there's no more newspaper. We can pull up the uh, news clip online, right, and find out all about that. But to come before a king and submit yourself to him in such a way is humbling. Let me give you just a picture, okay? of what you do before royalty. You humble yourself and you may even take a knee, right? It's like, oh, why are you doing that? It's a humble posture before a king. You may even bow, avert your eyes, and extend your hand. Lord, it's all about you. I am your servant. I am your subject. I follow you. Your word is my command. They knew exactly who they were standing, or more accurately, bowing down before. Not only did they do that, But these wise men opened their treasures, their treasures, and offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And not just in small quantities. These were lavish gifts, holding nothing back. Not only did they travel a great distance to come and see the king of the Jews who was born, They inquired about him, sought where he was. They went to him, rejoiced exceedingly, were overwhelmed with joy. And then they fell down and worshipped him. And they didn't come empty-handed. That wasn't it. That wasn't the end of the story. They also pulled out from their treasure and gave to him lavishly. They held nothing back. Maybe in hindsight, they could see this. But at the time, they were simply bringing what they had. Gold speaks of royalty. Incense speaks of divinity. And myrrh speaks of the preparation for the dead. Part of the anointing. Interesting, isn't it? Royalty, divinity, and death all marking Jesus Christ in his life. They simply did what was customary in those days, and that was to appear before royalty with gifts, and they came with lavish gifts. They acknowledged him right right then and there. We believe who he is. And they responded appropriately. Jesus was right under the noses of Herod and the Jewish people, and it was the wise men from the east that came seeking the king of the Jews. It was the wise men that sought out Jesus, surrendered their 
their gifts to him and worshipped him at great costs. And so, of course, we need to ask, our, ask ourselves, you know, what are we doing today that would reflect this very love, this very acknowledgement of who Jesus is in our lives? Does it reflect in our lives? How do we respond to Jesus? Is it in this manner? It should. Is your following of Jesus just a thing spoken or is it genuine? Does it cost you anything? And the question is, how is that reflected? I have to say that wise men still seek Jesus today. Wise men, wise women, wise children, they still seek Jesus today. Let's take a look at Herod. In verse 3, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And then skip over to to verse 13. We're going to go to the end of the chapter, and we're going to run through it and explain this. Now, when they had departed, that is the, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So this is an overview, but Herod at this point is still alive. This is kind of a, a snapshot of the time up until Herod died. But then he goes on and he says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So Jesus of Nazareth. Herod of Judea was also known as Herod the Great. He was a powerful ruler who was politically gifted. He loved power. And he was ruthless, being known to have murdered his own family members and close associates who served as a threat to him. Um, It's said that it was safer to be Herod's dog than Herod's brother. 
And it was true. The question is, what do you think troubled him when he heard that wise men from the east are in Jerusalem inquiring about the location of the baby who was born king of the Jews? It's all in the question, right? That troubled him greatly. You see, Herod was to be regarded as the king of the Jews, not someone else, especially not a baby and especially not a Jewish baby. Herod assembled all the religious leaders and asked them about this quote-unquote king of the Jews and was told what Scripture says. What was his response to it all? He was telling them something and actually meant something different. Oh, I, I want to know, you know, where he is and come back and tell me so I can go and worship him myself. That, of course, was all a lie. His response was deception, rage, and even murder. Destruction of his own kingdom. When he found out that the wise men tricked the trickster, he became furious, is what we read, in order that all the male children in Bethlehem, ages two and younger, were to be killed, completely annihilated. This had been prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31.15, and as it was written in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 2. Joseph had been warned in a dream by an angel of the Lord to depart from Bethlehem, to go down into Egypt, which, by the way, was a perfect place for him to go into. It is said that at that time there were over a million Jews who were living in Egypt. It was outside of the area that was ruled by Herod, and so he was out of his jurisdiction. But it was more than that. You see, prophecy was fulfilled. What had been foretold would happen. And it happened. Not just where Jesus would be born, but what would happen in Bethlehem with the babies and how Jesus would come out of Egypt, Hosea 11.1. And when Joseph and Mary went to Nazareth, instead of going back to Bethlehem, another prophecy was fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. That is from Nazareth from the area of Galilee. And we think about this, how it is that all this prophecy was fulfilled. I mean, from the beginning of the chapter we're going through, and all this prophecy was was continually being fulfilled by everything that was happening. And this should really serve as a source of encouragement for us to the believer that God indeed knows all things and He sees all things, not as we see them, chronologically and imperfectly, dimly, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13. But he knows perfectly everything from start to finish and everything in between. He's not restricted by time. And he sees things perfectly as if they had already happened. And in his economy, it has already happened. Herod may have loved power and did everything in his power to maintain his ruling authority over everything and everyone. But let me reassure you, no power matches God's power. Job 33.12 tells us, Behold, in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. So who is Archelaus? He's the son of Herod, who is now reigning in, in Herod's place in Judea after Herod's death. And he was known to be just as cruel as his father. He wasn't as great as his father, but he was just as cruel as his father. 
And he was to be feared and avoided just like his father. But again, this man also was no match to God. I love Romans 8.31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Some of these verses we just need to, we need to memorize and pull up from time to time to just remind us of who God is in our lives and that nothing in this world is a match to Him. We need to also think about how it was that Herod was, was at a Bible study. He went to a Bible study. Um, he asked the chief priests and the scribes uh, about this king of the Jews. They told him exactly what it says in the word. But it was of no use to him. Because he was full of himself and refused to humbly receive the Savior. Wise men sought Jesus to worship him. Powerful men sought to kill him. Next, we see the religious people. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, these religious people had all of the information correct. They knew the Old Testament inside and out. They knew the law. But they failed to apply this to their own lives. You see, we can know the Word of God inside and out. We can quote Scripture. We, can, we may even be able to quote like whole sections like a chapter or maybe even a book. And it still not translate into impacting our lives. We could go through all kinds of stuff, like the knowledge of religion. I know many colleges that they have these religious classes, and you get to know all this stuff, all this information, but it doesn't really have a personal impact. Herod was that person. These religious people were such. You see, these chief priests were politically appointed by Herod. And these positions changed regularly just to make sure that these men would not gain uh, the influence over the people that really only belonged to Herod. And then these chief priests were, uh, I mean, these scribes were not so much as uh, people who would copy out of the Old Testament as they were actually known as the teachers of the law. That's who they were known to be. Both of these groups of men knew the Old Testament very well and immediately knew what the wise men were talking about. And they quoted Micah 5.2. Immediately, they, they were like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is where you find it. And this is where you'll find them. He said, go south. Southwest, about six miles. These were the quote-unquote experts of Scripture and yet were uninterested in meeting the Messiah themselves. Interesting, isn't it? How is that? Wait a minute, did, did you not hear my question? You know, this is, where is the king of the Jews? You're a Jew, no? You're an Israelite? We come from the east. 
but I'm asking, where's, where's your king? And then you just quoted out of Micah 5.2, and you're pointing me to him, but you yourself remain uninterested? Kind of just, eh. What they needed to possess was a spiritual transformation when all they really possessed was superficial information. John Trapp said this, quote, Had they met with the shepherds of Bethlehem, they would have received better intelligence than they could from the learned scribes of Jerusalem. At least the shepherds themselves actually went. And by the way, they got there way before the wise men. They actually made it to the very place that Jesus was born. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. There are many people who know about God and even say they believe in Him, but fail to connect the information they have with the necessary transformation that is necessary to really know Him instead of knowing about Him. Like, you know, you have people that say, well, yeah, I, I believe in, in God. Well, even the demons believe in God and tremble. At least they tremble. Now, but that's not enough. Information about God is not enough. It's that intimate relationship with Him that only comes through a surrendered heart to Him that comes to that place. The only way that this, that this happens is through repentance and belief. Repent of sin and believe in Jesus to be the Son of God. So wise men sought Jesus to worship Him. Powerful men sought to kill Him. But the religious people were indifferent toward Jesus. Again, the attitude is just, yeah, yeah we know that. No genuine reverence, no real submission, lots of pride, self-centered. That marked the life of the religious elite of the time of Jesus. They were marked with claiming they know more than Jesus. Some, oh, man, that's interesting too. When we form our own religion and, and we come to dictate and say how it is that God loves, and it's, it's, it's interesting to me. It's like, well, to have any knowledge of any subject, you would go to the expert, right? You would go to the source of knowledge. You wouldn't say to a physics teacher, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make up my own book on physics because I think it, you know, it happens this way. So, you know, who are you to tell me, you know, what physics is? That'd be ridiculous, right? Wouldn't it? So where would you find out? about the Lord. Right here, right? The truly wise person will see Jesus for who He is according to the Word of God and surrender His life to Him. Lose your life, gain eternal life with God. It, it's, it's that simple, but it's, it's so difficult. So difficult at times. We can learn from the wise men. I love this. David Guzik gave this list and, and I'm coming to a close here. They were not satisfied with looking at the star and admiring it. They did something about the star and set out and followed it. They persevered in their search and in following after the star. They were not discouraged in the search by clergy and doubtful religious leaders. They rejoiced at the star. 
When they arrived at the destination the star led them to, they entered in. When they entered in, they worshipped. And they sensed an urgency to worship him now and not wait until later. When they worshipped, it was to give something, not to come with empty-handed adoration. C.H. Spurgeon said this, Those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. In closing, Jesus was born into a a troubled world. We live in a troubled world. But the world could not overcome him. It still cannot overcome him today. In fact, he overcame it. He overcame sin. He overcame death. They were both conquered. And we know victory in Jesus Christ. Nothing was perfect about the time in which Jesus was born. Imperfection was born, or imperfection was born in imperfection, into imperfection. It was for that very reason that he came. It was for that very reason that he was sent. And yet many came to faith, and many followed Jesus intimately. My prayer for you this morning is that as you think about these these different groups. And sometimes we can hopefully not fall into the group that, you know, tends to desire to go after, you know, Jesus and his followers and, you know, really be aggressive toward them. Hopefully we're not a part of that group at all. But sometimes we find ourselves in the religious group. So we're, when we're kind of un- indifferent, you know, just kind of, eh, when we're so full of ourselves that we, we don't allow him to come into our lives and to really lead us. Remember the, the whole picture, you know, of surrendering to his kingship, to his lordship in our lives? That, that's really the place where we should be. We should be like the wise men who came and rejoiced exceedingly, who worshipped him, who fell down humbly before the king. Because if we lose our lives, we will gain it eternally in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, of which I know I was one. I remember that clearly. I had no idea. I had no idea. But when I finally understood why it was that Jesus truly went to the cross to, in my place to die for my sins, how it was that he, not only did he have victory on the cross for my sins, but he also had victory over death by resurrecting from the grave. That we have hope that 40 days later after appearing to his disciples, that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, that we have that hope also of ascending and being with the Lord himself. When I, when I realized, when I finally came to understand all of that, I rejoiced exceedingly. And I joyfully surrendered my life to the Lord. I repented of my sins and completely gave my life to the Lord. And I received forgiveness of my sins and I was born again. And I can tell you that anyone who knew me before that point would testify of the fact that there's, there's, no, there's nothing that could have changed Raul the way Jesus Christ changed him. And it wasn't, now I live my life not out of duty, not out of like, I have to do these things. It's because I get to do them. 
It's because I don't have to do the other things. That's why. Christianity is, is amazing. Why? Because we have the certain hope of eternally being in the presence of God, in all of his glory. We get to be in heaven. We get to be forgiven. And I pray that that is your response this morning. I pray you are encouraged by that. And you as his people, for those of you who have, who have already surrendered your lives to Christ, that you would be like the wise men, pursuing him at great cost, whatever the cost may be. Pursue Jesus. Spend time with him in prayer, in his word, and in fellowship, for he is in the midst. Where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst. Spend that time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you sent your only begotten Son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I do pray if there's anyone here this morning who have not known salvation, have not come to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, that this would be the day of salvation. That this would be the moment that grace is finally understood. That forgiveness is desired. That your mercy is poured out upon them. That they cry out to you, O my Lord and my Savior, my God and my King. Forgive me, receive me. Thank you, Lord. I also ask, Father, that you would strengthen your church, that we would persevere, that we would continue to advance with all humility, with all love, with all gentleness, with all compassion, and that agape love, that sacrificial love that you demonstrated to us, I pray, Lord, that we would demonstrate to others. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.